is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a speaker, a career and executive coach, and today I welcome Dr. Joan Rosenberg to the show. Joan will talk about how to build confidence, emotional strength, and resilience to move toward relationship mastery. Joan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm really excited about talking with you today. And your research is really compelling and very new to me. You know, we all have an idea of what confidence looks like, but I'd love for you to go deep and explain what you think confident is from your vantage point as a psychologist. Well, I, you know, I my point of view after 25 years kind of working in a particular way, and it's an approach that I've developed, is, is my view is that confidence is the deep sense that you can handle the emotional outcome of whatever you face or whatever you pursue. So the focus is on being able to experience and move through unpleasant feeling so that you can handle that emotional outcome. And is that what you're getting at when you talk about emotional relationship mastery? Well, it's emotional mass. That's yes, that's one of the aspects of emotional mastery. So think emotional flexibility, think of being able to be responsive as opposed to being reactive and explosive. Uh, think of, of feeling an experience of contentment and inner peace. All those kinds of things would center on emotional mastery. Relationship mastery is a, a kind of a, a different thread, if you will. Uh, I, I also talk about what I would consider conversational mastery and relationship mastery. So, Joan, let's let's keep digging here because you know, in my realm in the career development world, I see the lack of confidence as such a roadblock for so many as they advance in their careers. So what stands in the way for any one of us achieving optimal self-confidence? Well, again, I, I would look at a couple of different things. One is what somebody thinks. So if they're always thinking negative thoughts, that's going to be problematic and that will get in the way. And then how we think, which means a, probably in this case, a pattern or a number of patterns of negative thinking and the third is how people experience and express feeling. So that if, if those areas aren't in good shape, if you will, then it, confidence is going to be problematic. And is confidence something that we can nurture and develop? I mean, clearly, your, your book title is 90 Seconds to a Life You Love, How to Master your feelings and cultivate confidence, resilience, and authenticity. So walk me through. What's the first thing? Yes, absolutely, absolutely learnable. So, and as is resilience. So again, if you think of the way I'm approaching confidence, that it has to do with handling the emotional outcome of whatever we face or whatever we pursue, then, then my, my approach is centered on being able to experience and move through eight unpleasant feelings. And if we can handle those eight unpleasant feelings, then that really launches us a long distance in terms of building confidence. But it's not the only element. It's the base and the foundational element. Can you give us a glimpse of the eight unpleasant feelings so the audience has a, a better understanding of what you're speaking about? Absolutely. So there's sadness, shame, helplessness, anger, vulnerability embarrassment, disappointment, and frustration. 
So the, the most the most common question that comes up after I state those eight is, you know, people will go, well, you know, guilt's not there or fear and anxiety aren't there. And they're not there for different reasons. But but think of these eight feelings as the most common, spontaneous, everyday life reactions, feeling reactions to things not turning out the way that we need or the way that we want. So I'm not talking about traumatic or tragic circumstances right now. I'm talking about our everyday feeling reactions to things not turning out the way we need or want. Thank you for that clarity, because you're right. I can just imagine people naming other feelings, other emotions, but I appreciate the simplicity of these eight. How do we move through these unpleasant feelings toward a place of confidence? What's what's the next step? Then, well, here's the, here's the beauty of it. And I, I wrestled with this question for a very long time in terms of what is it that makes it so difficult to experience and move through unpleasant feelings? And what I, what I realized is that, I actually, it, I realized it after all the neuroscience findings began to come out in the late 1990s and into the early 2000s and now beyond. And that what they talk about, the neuroscientists talk about, is that we tend, most of us tend to experience feelings or come to know our emotional feelings in, by, through bodily sensation first. So, so think uh, the heat at your neck or your face when you're embarrassed, or think about the kind of down, downward feeling or, or pressure at your chest when you're sad, or you know, a clenched jaw or a clenched fist or something when you're angry. And again, it's unique to every one of us in terms of the bo- particular bodily sensations we feel. But it, the first part is knowing that uh, that we come to know the feeling through bodily sensation. Fascinating. You know, I can just, uh, it's visceral, right? It's that physical reaction. Right. And And what dawned on me is that it's not that we don't want to feel the whole range of what we feel. I think we all do because it gives us a sense of aliveness, even the unpleasant feelings. But what we don't want to feel are the bodily sensations that help us know what we're feeling emotionally. And for me, for me, that was the turning point. Wow. Wow. So help me understand, is emotional strength part of confidence or is it a separate concept? And it's built on the first part of it. So, so think of your ability to experience and move through these eight unpleasant feelings as the root of feeling capable. Again, what I what dawned on me as I worked over decades now with, with clients is that they didn't feel capable in life until they felt like they could handle the emotional outcome of whatever they faced. So, so that the experience the notion of being capable in life or emotionally strong, it's one element of emotional strength in my view, is built on this foundation of being able to experience and move through those eight unpleasant feelings. The second part of emotional strength is being really okay with leaning on others. So it's, it's being okay with the dependent side of our nature, and which means that if we can do that, that we're comfortable enough with leaning on others, then we can acknowledge our needs and limitations, and we can ask for help, which puts asking for help squarely in emotional strength. So the two key aspects of emotional strength 
are feeling capable, which means you can deal with the eight unpleasant feelings, and being resourceful, which means that you can lean on others and ask for help. So let me ask, it's an interesting time in our culture because there's so much focus on happiness, right? There are happiness classes and we talk about happiness in workplace culture. But I also believe part of mastering your difficult feelings, which is part of the subtitle of your book, is living with them and, and recognizing them and not always dismissing them, but appreciating them for what they are. So you can then in turn celebrate the happier times, if you will, and understand the difference. It, yes. I actually think that when you try to cut off half of your experience, which the unpleasant feelings exist for a protective purposes, right? So, so they're not bad or negative. And I would actually hope that people stop using the language that, that unpleasant feelings are bad or negative. They're not. They're simply unpleasant or uncomfortable or unsettling or unsomething, but, but they're not they're not bad or negative. So when you cut, try to cut off half of your life experience, you deaden yourself in a certain mm-hmm. way. That can't bring you to happiness. It never will. And in fact, it actually makes it worse for you. And, and so you actually have a greater sense of aliveness and ultimately a greater sense of contentment, which we might use in place of happiness, as, as, a, way to, uh, as a way to actually feel that, that aliveness and contentment is to actually to accept that side of our nature. Thank you for your clarity on that. That is just enlightening on so many levels, and I'm I'm grateful for that. So you write so eloquently in the book about developing com- confidence is almost paradoxical or counterintuitive. Tell me more about that. You know what? It's it's people have to understand that by and large, developing confidence is an inside out process. So so we can get uh, you know when we first grow up, if if we have people celebrating us then that is a way for us to, to to just the notion of feeling loved makes a difference in terms of how you know how how we develop that confidence from the from early stages but but if we don't get that and a great many don't then it's understanding that we we need to develop it first from the inside out and most of us have this notion that that we that we're confident and then we go take a risk or we're confident and then we speak or we know ourselves and then we speak but the truth of the matter is, is it works the other way. So it's a little bit counterintuitive. The truth is, as we speak or through speaking, that's how you develop confidence. And the same is true for taking action. So it's that we take the action or we take the risk. And it's through that engaging in those risk-taking actions that we actually develop confidence. So what I'm hearing is there's a muscle memory, right? A development, a flexing of those muscles so they become natural and strong and resilient. Right. Yes. Yes. So you you can't get the confidence without being engaged in taking the risk, period. End of story. Got it. Joan, we'll be right back after a quick break. Your working life is powered by your stories. We want to hear more from our listeners about your experiences in the workplace. Tell us what challenges you've overcome or tips you've learned along the way. And even better, if you don't have the answers, let us know what issues you want to learn more about. We want this podcast to serve you in all of your career and life needs. Send me an email at caroline at carolinedoubthiggins.com. 
I'm sure that you are aware through your research and your practice that people struggle with fear and anxiety. How can someone handle their anxiety better or perhaps even experience less of it? You know what? Great question. Thank you. Um, because I have a whole different point of view around uh, this whole idea of fear and anxiety. And I actually think both words are overused and misused. So let me, let me walk you through that. The uh, fear, the way psychology defines fear is that it's, it's danger in the moment or life threat in the moment right now. So somebody might say, well, I have a fear of public speaking. And I would contend, no, you actually don't. There's no fear or danger. There's no danger or life threat in the moment right now. And if you use those words, you tend to evoke those kinds of sensations in your body. So the, the next most logical choice would be to say, well, then I'm anxious. Or I have anxiety about public speaking. Or whatever the, the thing someone's concerned about. And anxiety is diffuse apprehension of the future primarily anticipating a negative event. And I might suggest, and then a negative outcome, and then an, an, an unpleasant feeling. But anxiety, with that diffuse apprehension, is also too broad a, a word. If I were to ask 15 people what they, how they defined anxiety, those 15, I'd get probably 15 different answers. And so what I realized over time is that anxiety was too vague. So the next stop for me or the next move for me is then to say, well, what do we use one or, one or more of the eight feelings? And the truth is most of the time when people say that they're fearful or anxious, they're feeling vulnerable. They're, they're feeling like they could be hurt. And so the more accurate word, and it actually changes your experience when you shift it from just using the word anxiety to shifting to going, ah, I'm feeling vulnerable right now. Uh, that it it creates a whole different experience in your body and actually feels more manageable. The other thing that I found is if it's not vulnerability, it tends to be one or more of the other seven feelings because vulnerability is one of the eight. So that so that anxiety often acts as the cover for eight unpleasant feelings. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. That's really powerful. You know, there's such an interesting thing happening culturally, a, a talk about leaders being more vulnerable and embracing humility. So this, this directly relates to what we're seeing happen in the workforce. What are your thoughts about vulnerability as a professional? My point of view is that when we choose into vulnerability, it's the greatest strength we have. And in the book, I talk about uh, two different kinds of vulnerability. I talk about a vulnerability that we all have that I, I call it non-conscious vulnerability because it, it, we all can be hurt and we can all be hurt at any point in time. Uh, that's, that's, it's true for every single one of us and none of us escapes that. And then there's a vulnerability that we choose into. So when we want to go pursue something in our lives, we have a big vision for ourselves or we have big goals that we want to achieve or, or they could be smaller goals. It might be just telling somebody that you, I, I like you and I want to spend more time with you. It, does, it doesn't matter what it is, what the risk is, that, 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 that when we choose into being vulnerable, choosing into the possibility that we could be hurt or we could learn something, then we are at our greatest emotional strength. So Joan, let's talk about self-criticism. So many people self-sabotage and get in their own way of pursuing, you know, perhaps a goal or a dream or, or something even smaller. What is your take on self-criticism, harsh 
self-criticism? It's the most self-destructive thing a person can do to themselves. And the, again, I have a unique perspective on it. And I think of harsh self-criticism as a thought hijack of the eight unpleasant feelings. Thought hijack. Wow. That's, that's powerful. It's, it's when people, when people uh, face something difficult and experiencing something unpleasant that they can't control, including reacting, whatever their emotional reaction is. Oftentimes, or a lot of times, I will see people shift off the unpleasant feeling because they can't control that they're feeling and they can't control what they're feeling. And they shift to thinking and thinking very self-destructive or harshly critical thoughts. And it's all in an effort to escape the unpleasant feeling. Now, on the flip side, I see so many people deflecting compliments, right? Or they'll play them down and they they cannot genuinely accept a well-earned compliment. How does that play? Yeah, uh, well, if you have somebody that's harshly self-critical and they don't accept compliments, then they're putting themselves in a dangerous downward spiral. Because there's there's it's a dark place. There's no way out. There's not a, a good clear way out of that. So so learning how to to shift over the the harsh the harsh self criticism into just tolerating unpleasant feeling, and then being able to accept compliments becomes very critical in movement towards towards the confidence we're talking about. So what what people will often do is they'll they'll deflect these compliments, going oh it was nothing or uh, you know, or is it really true? Do you really believe that? Are there, I mean, I think I, I wrote like 20 different compliment blockers in the book uh, because they're so common, but, but compliments don't come out of thin air. A genuine compliment just, it's not, it doesn't come out of the blue or out of a, va- a vacuum or thin air. It's, it's genuinely div- delivered from an engaged experience with someone else. And I encourage so, people to say, honor the person who extended the compliment, right? Honor them. Uh, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And so you dismiss their reality of what's taking place with you if you dismiss the compliment. But the most important element of this is for people to understand that a compliment is a reflection of you back to you. And what it allows you to do when you get a consistent kind of a consistent perspective of you, what it allows you to do is to update your self-image. Very nice. Very nice. So, Joan, I'm fascinated by the title of your book, 90 Seconds to a Life You Love, and the subtitle, How to Master Your Difficult Feelings to Cultivate Lasting Confidence, Resilience, and Authenticity. So for those eager to buy the book, the 90-second piece, that's compelling. Tell us more. So the 90-second piece takes us back to the uh, the being able to tolerate those bodily sensations, and that that was that was the so I had two turning turning points in understanding what made it so difficult for people to experience unpleasant feelings, and this is really the key. The first part of it is that we experience when a feeling fires off, and Dr. Jill Bolte Taylor is the one who who made the observation about ninety seconds. So I want to make the right attribution here, and and sh- her observation was that when a feeling gets triggered. There's a rush of biochemicals into the bloodstream that activate the bodily sensations. It's through those bodily sensations that we come to know what we're feeling emotionally. 
and and that the there's a flush of those same biochemicals out of the bloodstream in roughly 90 seconds. So I'd been telling people to ride the waves of feelings for years, and until neuroscience came out, um, then it, I was able to kind of put it all together. So it's understanding that not only is a feeling short-lived, so but you've got to think one or more feeling waves, not just one feeling wave and you're done. It's one or more feeling waves for the rest of your life, by the way, as you face whatever circumstances you face. And and to have an understanding that what I need to do is to tolerate the bodily sensation so I can stay present to my feeling with an understanding that it's short-lived, up to roughly 90 Wow, seconds. puts it all in perspective, doesn't it? You know, what I, what I love about your work is it is insightful about how to cultivate lasting confidence, resilience, and authenticity. So as we wrap up, Joan, highlight a few key takeaways to build emotional mastery, and then we'll talk about how to buy your book. Sure. The The first, absolutely, is to be able to experience and move through those eight unpleasant feelings. That, that's the foundation of it all. The The second is for people to to learn how to speak up and to understand that speaking up is difficulty speaking up is not a a speaking problem. It's a, I don't want to feel unpleasant feeling problem. So speaking up is the second real key here. And a third and fourth uh, reverse course, when you start to be harshly self-critical and move away from the thinking and be pay attention to what the unpleasant feeling is that's underneath it. The fourth is accept compliments. They're there to help you. Beautiful. Joan, thank you so much. I learned a great deal from you today. I love your book, which is titled 90 Seconds to a Life You Love, How to Master Your Difficult Feelings to Cultivate Lasting Confidence, Resilience, and Authenticity. And of course, it's available on Amazon and all major book retailers. Thank you for spending time with me today. I'm so grateful. Thank you so much. Take good care, Joan, and I wish you continued success. And to all of you listening around the world, if you like the show, subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud, and even better, leave a review. And let me tell you why. This helps people find us online. And let us know what career-themed issues you'd like for us to feature on a future show. You can find me on Twitter at C. Dowd Higgins. And I want to give a shout-out to my podcast colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, Executive Producer. Thank you for the extraordinary work you do to make this show awesome for our audience. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. Thanks for listening.